0: The reality is there are many that are probably sitting right here beside you and some that are watching online that have used wealth, money, pleasure, substance, work, career, fame. You have tried to fulfill this burning, longing desire that is inside of you, but you still have not found what you're looking for. And as we go to the book of Ecclesiastes today, if there was a soundtrack for that book, um, I would nominate that familiar U2 song. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. Many of us, you may remember being a child or if you have children, my guess is your kids do this or grandchildren. All of us, when we are real little, we love to play pretend. And little girls like to pretend they're princesses or they have tea parties or maybe they want to be a doctor when they grow up. For little boys, for me, it's like, you know, you want to hit the game-winning shot or throw the game-winning touchdown. Maybe your pretend world is a battlefield and you're killing all of the bad guys or whatever it may be. But from the moment a child begins to understand the world, they play pretend. They pretend to be someone they're not. I was thinking about this in our home, having a daughter and a, and a son. And with my youngest son who loves sports, it was, I remember being in the street, throwing him footballs. And it was like, okay, Caden, okay, this is fourth down and four. The Steelers, we need to complete this pass, run a 10 and out. And you know, you do that and he catches it and we win the game. For others, we had an uh, adjustable basketball hoop in the backyard. And I know this may surprise you, but I can't dunk. And so we would lower the rim down to about eight feet. How many ever did that? Oh, don't lie. I'm not the only one, you know, and you get the ball and you're like, pretending doing all of these dunks. And we have video of him dunking and, and all of that. But as we grow older, we quickly realize that the basketball hoop's 10 foot tall, not eight and a half. Kids grow up and they realize that while they may have played doctor or nurse when they were younger, that in real life, doctors can't heal everyone. And pain is real. Discomfort is real. You realize that even if you become an athlete, you don't always hit the game-winning shot. That real life tends to slap you in the face with reality. Well, the book of Ecclesiastes is one of God's gifts to help us understand how to live in this real world. It's a book that often goes overlooked. It's a little weird, if you're being honest. Um, It's often misunderstood. But as we read it, it blows up our pretend lives and our make-believe games, and it jolts us into realizing that everything in real life is not as clean, it's not as tidy as the pretend world suggests. So over the next four weeks, we are going to look at this book of Ecclesiastes. I invite you to read it with us. Um, Begin reading it. It's not an incredibly long book. We won't go verse by verse. We're going to take it in sections, but we're going to do that over the month of November. Bow your heads. Let me pray for this time. Father, all of us understand that the real world is very different than the world that we pretended to have when we were kids. It's not clean, it's not tidy. Here even in our community, we have recognized that over the past several weeks. But Lord, your word is a gift. The Bible says that all scripture, all of it, even the one that's hard to understand and seems a bit quirky, can be used for instruction and encouragement. So I pray today as we open your word that it wouldn't be Alan who encourages, that it would be your spirit. So come and open our ears. Our eyes to see, our minds to comprehend, and give us the strength to respond accordingly in faith. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So as we look at Ecclesiastes, let's first talk about who wrote it and why did they write it. We're going to go right to the first verse of this book because the author gives us a hint. Ecclesiastes 1.1, right away, the Bible says, The words of the teacher, son of David, King in Jerusalem. Now, this is a bit of a cryptic message because the author doesn't come out and just say, hey, this is so and so, and I'm writing this book. But we can gain some understanding, especially in the second and the third part. So, the author is son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, It appears to be written by David's son, Solomon. And I say appears to be because there is some argument on, in biblical scholars, some don't believe that it was Solomon who wrote it, and I'm not going to get into the internal or external evidence today. Regardless, Solomon certainly influenced this book at the very least, and you can thank Martin Luther for questioning whether or not Solomon wrote that. He was the first to question that. But regardless, today, and as we go through Ecclesiastes, throughout the book, Um, It is referred to, the author is referred to as the teacher. Or some of your translations may say the preacher. So when you hear me refer to the teacher says or the preacher says, I'm referring to the author of Ecclesiastes. And this book is included in the Bible in what's called the wisdom literature. And so Ecclesiastes is part of that. The book of Job is included in that. And um, Proverbs and Song of Solomon. And here is the overarching theme Of the entire book, if I was gonna sum up the theme of the entire book into one statement, it would be this Faith in God turns an empty life into a meaningful life that is to be enjoyed. Faith in God turns an empty life into a meaningful one. That God desires that we enjoy. So today we're going to look at the first two to three chapters. And right away, when we get to verse two, we're going to see that this teacher uses shock tactics, if you will. The very first thing that he wants us to understand, or at least from his perspective, is that everything is meaningless. Some of your Bibles may even say everything is vanity. You probably have heard this verse before, but... Ecclesiastes 1, chapter 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. You didn't know you came to be encouraged today. <laughs> right away, Solomon, or the writer of Ecclesiastes, says everything is meaningless. Now, if you want someone to wake up from not living in reality or to wake someone up and stop pretending what life is like, this is a pretty good way to start. Just tell them everything is meaningless. It's a, a snap back into reality if you will. However, many Bible translations actually lead us astray by using the words meaningless or vanity. Because in using these words, we tend to read this statement and understand that the, what the author is saying is that the world as we know it, or life as we know it, is pointless and it has no meaning. And that is not what Ecclesiastes is saying. That is not what the teacher is saying. The teacher is not telling us that everything is pointless. It doesn't matter what you do, life doesn't matter, it's all vanity. That's not what the intended message of the author is saying. Now, this word meaningless in Hebrew is called hebel. Everybody say hebel. hebel. Okay. Some of your English translations, they'll use a V. It'll be hebel or hebel. It's just different ways in English that we translate it. But the Hebrew understanding of the word hebel or hebel is this. It means breath or vapor. Or a mist or a breeze or a puff of smoke. Imagine being it being cold outside. I know it's November and we're in blessed with seventy degree weather today and this weekend. It's been beautiful. But winter is coming, cold is coming. And when the cold comes, how many of you know you go outside and when your warm breath hits the cold air, you see this vapor you see this mist, it's very real, you know it's there, you can feel it, you can see it, but you can't grasp hold of it. That is the idea of Hebel. The teacher is saying that everything, all of life is a vapor. It's a puff, it's a wind, it's a bit of smoke. It's something you can see, it's something you can experience, yet something you can't quite grab hold of. This is actually a common idea throughout the Bible you go to the book of Psalms in chapter 39, the psalmist says, you have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. Our life isn't that long. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. The psalmist says, at best, each of us, every one of us, is but a hebel. Each of us is but a... Same word used in Ecclesiastes. It's actually used in the New Testament as well. The brother of Jesus, James, who writes his letter to the church. James says something very similar. He says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. You recognize that? We don't know what tomorrow, you may have it scheduled out, you may have it mapped out, but we do not really know what tomorrow is like. That's what James is saying. Because our life is like the morning fog. James is saying our life is like Hebel. It's like a puff. It's there a little while and then it's gone. Everything is like a breath. It's like a puff of wind. Maybe Forrest Gump was on to something when he said, life is like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get. Maybe he was interpreting Ecclesiastes, but that's the idea. So the teacher is going to take the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes to unpack exactly what this means. But this morning, here are three ways I want us to look at this idea of Hebel. Everything is like a breath or a vapor. First of all, the author of Ecclesiastes wants us to understand that life is short. Life is short. If I blew out a candle, if I had a candle up here and it had been burning for a while and then I blow it out, you would see uh, a small smoke. You would see a, a puff of smoke and how long would it last? You can smell it. You can see it, it's very real, but it's also transient, it's temporary, it vanishes quickly, it comes and goes with no lasting impact or impression on the world. All of us come to a point where we begin saying and we begin experiencing what those who are older than us know, and that is that time flies the older you get. How many understand that to be true? I turned 50 about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Time flies. I was shocked last night when I was listening to the announcements. And Pastor Marv mentioned that you can be in teenagers, our older ministry, at the age of 55. And I'm like, really? I'm five years away from being in teenagers? No offense to the teenager ministry, but life is short. It goes by fast. Nothing seems to last. There's another familiar verse. Many ladies, you know this. Uh, Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceptive and beauty is vain. Guess what word is used there in the Hebrew? Hebel. Hebel. Beauty is, it's temporary, it's short. Ecclesiastes is a meditation on what it means for our lives to be like a vapor. It's a meditation or a thought about what It means for our life to be like a puff of smoke. Here one minute and gone the next. So he wants us to understand life is short, but he also wants us to understand that life is not only short, life is elusive. The smoke in front of your eyes from that candle, it's not just transient or short, but it's elusive. If you tried to grab it, if you tried to put it in your pocket, if you tried to save it and keep it for later, it's impossible. Of course you couldn't do that. You can't grab it. You can't get your hands on it. It's real, it's a physical thing, but it slips through our fingers as we try to take hold of it. So Ecclesiastes is also a meditation on how life seems to elude our grasps when it comes to things of lasting significance. If we try to gain the world and our lives by what we can understand and by what we can do, we find that that control eludes us. And here is the main question. When we get to verse three, here is the main question that the teacher is asking. What do people gain? What do you and I gain from all of our work, all of our labor in which we toil under the sun? What is it that you and I gain What is it that we get from all of the hard work, the countless hours of effort that we put in as the sun rises, as in the sun sets? What is it at the end that we really gain? And it's the key question to the opening of this book. And he spends about the next eight to 10 verses answering this question. And it's actually the question in which all of the Bible's wisdom literature, Job, Proverbs, Song of Solomon is asking. What does it mean to fear the Lord in the world that God has made? What does it mean to fear God, to fear the Lord in this world that he's created? All of this is a meditation. It's a a written thought about what it means for us to be alive in a world that God called good. He called his creation good. All of it is good, yet which also his good creation has gone very wrong often in catastrophic ways. So as the teacher, as he's reflecting on his experience with everything around him, he wants you and I to ask ourselves that same question. He wants us to look at our experience, our circumstances, our our surroundings, and ask the question, what does this say about life in general? How should we make sense of the life that we see around us? Can we even, is it even possible to make sense of it all? Ecclesiastes and all of these other wisdom books, when they're written, they use proverbs, they use catchy sayings, they use riddles and questions, probing comments and answers. They use poetry to force us to look at things from a different angle. And that's what's happening here in verse three. What do we gain from all the work under the sun? Well, the implied answer is nothing, In our lives, full of work and toil under the sun, people gain absolutely nothing. And the Hebrew word gain has the idea of deposits, of when all is said and done, what will you show for it? Being in the black, if you will, instead of the red. What are we gonna have when all is said and done? And the answer is nothing. And here's what's at stake with this question. What will I leave behind that is going to count as a lasting monument for all of our work. Have you ever thought about that? When all is said and done, we work so hard, we spend countless energy, time, resources, working under the sun every day. When all is said and done, what will be left behind of it all? The teacher wants us to recognize life is short, it's elusive, and here's the last one, that life is repetitive. Man, this keeps getting better. You're telling me it's short. I'm going to die before I know it. I can't take a hold of it because it's elusive. And now you're telling me it's just going to happen over and over again. Yes. That is what the teacher is saying. Look what he says in verse 9. What has been, the teacher says, has always been done and will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. You've probably heard that phrase before. Over the next several verses, he takes the idea he uses nature he uses the sun the wind and the rain or water to uh, reinforce this idea that everything is secular circular everything repeats itself over and over and over again that nothing is new it's all been done before but for us as human beings we're really honest with ourselves, we all have a desire. There's something deep inside of us that desires to come across something in our lives that will break this repetitive cycle, something that we hear, something that's said, something that we see, something that we experience that is truly new and therefore significant. But in the end, the teacher says, there is no such thing. Nothing is new under the sun. Now, you may be saying, well, we invent things all the time. The world 2022 is much different than it was 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Yes, but let's talk about it. Okay, we we create different ways to communicate, the internet, social media, all of those things to communicate and share information. However, while we invent technology, communication has always been. Communication has always been. Landing on the moon years ago was still a form of exploration and adventure. One group of people may cause an uprise in a country and declare a revolution because they have a better and new form of government. But a new or better form of government is still a form of government, which has been way before. A baby, new and unlike any other creature in the world, uniquely made in God's image is a baby. And babies have been born before and babies will be born again. It's not like there's nothing new ever invented in the world. Of course there are. But the teacher is simply saying that there is nothing new that we can discover to break this cycle and ultimately bring satisfaction in our lives. He says it in verse 14, I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. All of them are hebel. They're Poof, a chasing after the wind, which is where we got the name of this series. All of it is we're trying to obtain, we're chasing and running after something that is not obtainable. So how is it that the author came up to this conclusion? How is it, if you believe Solomon, which I do believe wrote the Ecclesiastes, how is it that all of this is like chasing the wind? Well, I don't want to assume understanding, so let's talk about Solomon, assuming he wrote this. Let's talk about him for a little bit. He was the son of King David, and Solomon ruled as king over Jerusalem for about 40 years. History tells us it was about from 970 to 931 B.C., and the Bible tells us that he was the richest and the wisest man in all of the world. Getting a picture of Solomon, ruled 40 years, he was king, Bible says he was the richest and the wisest. Now, I'm not one to question or contradict the Bible, but the Bible also says he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So when I get to heaven one day, I am going to ask, you said he's the wisest, but he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. I'm not a genius by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think that's very wise and I wouldn't recommend it. The bottom line is this, Solomon lacked nothing. Like think about this. He was the smartest guy in the room. He was king and had all power. He could do whatever he wanted to whomever he wanted. He was the richest man. I, I was researching this earlier this week. There are some studies that have looked through the course of history and go, who are the richest people to have, who have ever existed? And a couple of those research studies believe that it was King Solomon, that if you put all of his money into today's standard, he would be worth about 2.2 trillion dollars. That's how rich he was. So he was smart. He had power. He had money. And oh, he had 700 wives and 300 (laughs) concubines. He had it all. But yet in the end, he said, all of it's Hebel. All of it is meaningless or all of it is this puff of smoke. Look at this. It even says about Solomon... I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Do you get that? Remember, had all the money, had all the power, had all the influence, had all the wisdom. And he denied himself nothing. He refused his heart no pleasure. There wasn't one thing that he thought if it would please him, he would not do. His heart took delight in all of his labor. And this was the reward. That was the reward. That's it for all of his toil. But then he says this, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, when I looked at it all I toiled and toiled to achieve, at the end of the day, everything was meaningless. Everything was Hebel. Everything was chasing after the wind. Everything was short, elusive, repetitive, and it doesn't mean a thing He used wisdom, pleasure, work, riches, career, all of it to bring meaning and satisfaction to his life. And at the end of the day, he says he was not satisfied. How then should we live? Jesus follower, how then should we live? Well, here's the hope in Ecclesiastes. It's a book about how to live in this world that is Hebel. And first of all, it's accepting that death is coming, life is short, it is elusive, it is repetitive. That recognizing where it will end helps us deal with the present. To understand that to be human is to be finite. That we are not God, we are not infinite. He alone is God, he alone is infinite. That we're not in control, he is in control. And that we will not live forever. So we will die. And we cannot live in this reality of playing pretend. So what's the conclusion of this teacher? We're gonna end with this, this last thought or verse. When all is said and done, I believe this is chapter nine. No, it's chapter two, verse 24 and 25. He writes, So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God, for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? Now, this is a theme all throughout Ecclesiastes. I'm not going to read them all to you, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he says, Nothing better than to be happy and enjoy yourself as long as you can. Ecclesiastes 3, 22, there's nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. Ecclesiastes 5, he says, It's good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them. Ecclesiastes 8, the wisest man in all the world says, you know what I recommend? I recommend having fun because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. And a verse that I have always wanted to preach on is right here. So go ahead. Eat your food with joy. Drink your wine with a happy heart. For God approves of this, the Bible says. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Do it up. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of your life that God has given you under the sun. If I preached on this every week, our church would be 5,000 people. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, that's that new living translation you like to use. So I knew you were thinking, let's look at the NIV. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy your life with your wife, whom you love all the days of this meaningless life God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days, it's in the NIV too. Now I know some of you are still stubborn. You're thinking, what about the King James? The real version of the Bible. I know, I know. Well, let's go ahead and look. I wish I had an English accent, but I can't do it. Go thy way. Eat thy bread with joy and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest, all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun. And it continues: all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life, and thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Now, we laugh. It's in the Bible, though. What is this? What's the meaning? Pastor Allen, it sounds like hedonism. It sounds like you're saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're gonna die. No, it's not, that's not what I'm saying and that's not the message that the teacher is saying. He is saying this is reality and he is saying that even in the smallest things, even in the most simple things that you enjoy of having a meal and breaking bread with someone, having um, a meal and, and drinking together and to live is a gift from God. The Apostle Paul actually says this to Timothy as well in one of his letters. Timothy being the young pastor that he was mentoring. Look what um, the Apostle Paul says. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust their money. Why? Paul's saying because it's all Hebel. So tell those who are in your congregation that have have a lot of wealth. Solomon tried it. They can't satisfy their life by buying everything. That's what he's saying here. It's unreliable. It's Hebel. It's a puff puff of smoke and then it's gone. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives all of us, every one of us. God has gifted us things. Why? Why? For our enjoyment. For our enjoyment. So, the loved one you have, the clothes you have on your back, the meal you have, The house you live in doesn't matter whether it's fancy or not fancy. The car you drive, all of that, all of it, Paul's saying, is a gift from God. And here is the bottom line. Here is the implication. If if there's one thing for you to take away today, it's this. Life in God's world is a gift to be enjoyed, it's not a gain to be earned. Life that we have it is a gift. God desires us to enjoy the simple things in life and understand that it's not about us gaining something in the end and earning. There's a spiritual application to this as well. There's some of you in here today that you're trying to do good and you think that's what's gonna get you to heaven. But one day when you stand before Jesus, if you were to die tomorrow, God isn't gonna ask you, tell me all the great things you did for me. That's right. He's gonna look in the Lamb's book of life and he's gonna say, is your name written in the blood of Jesus? It's not a life to be gained, it's a gift. Salvation is a gift. But in the same way for us, Jesus follower, the teacher is saying, don't try to chase all that. If you have a lot, you can't buy, you you can't have enough. That desire will be there. And for those of you that don't have, you're trying to get more, you're trying to get more, Solomon, the richest dude in all the world that had everything life could want is saying, don't even try it's all poof. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the moment. Recognize that what we do spiritually, one day we will enjoy in heaven. It's not the things of this world. So enjoy it right now. Right where you are, I just want you to maybe grab the hand of your loved one or maybe it's a friend, maybe you don't have a loved one. It's a friend that you're sitting beside. And I just, I want you to look at me for a minute. The world is watching us, Christ followers. And when they see stressed out Christians trying to use fame and wealth and success and career and big, all of that, and that doesn't please us, what hope is there for them? We should live a life where we enjoy the simple things. We have dinner and we give thanks for our children, whether they're perfect or not, whether our spouses, whether they're perfect or not, whether our parents, whether they're perfect or not, Our friends, whether they're perfect or not. God is saying, stop and enjoy. It's a butter, it's a hebel, it's, whew, it's here and it's gone. So while I have you here, it's a gift from me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this family Thank you for the teacher in Ecclesiastes who reminds us to stop, to not chase all of these things that are like chasing a wind that are unattainable. Help us, Lord, to be satisfied in you, to enjoy the smallest things in our life and to do it for your glory and your honor. In the name of Jesus, amen.